So the title of the message for tonight is Our God of the Impossible. Some of you may be in situations right now where you need, right, you need an impossible blessing to come upon you. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Go with me to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Matthew begins his gospel with the genealogy of Joseph. And it begins in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, and Judah begot Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Abinadab, uh, Abinadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, uh, Salmon begot Boaz, uh, by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed, by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, the king. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, tonight as we come to your word, and we, Lord, we truly see the miracle, and the miracles that you work through the birth of your son. Lord God, you're the same today as you were then, and Lord God, that you'll be tomorrow and forever and ever. Father God, I know that there's a lot of people, Lord God, in our congregation, people watching tonight, they're in need. Lord God, of that miracle. And I want to pray, Lord God, that you would just raise up our faith tonight, enlarge it, that it reach up and grasp on to the miraculous power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that, Lord God, I pray you would work, Lord God, your wonderful works in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you, when you look here, again, the genealogy of, of Jesus Christ, what you have here, and it's very you know, critical to see that... Jesus had to be the son of David. Uh, again, if, if he is the right, son of David, you go through the genealogy, he also had to be the son of Abraham. He had to be the son of Isaac. He had to be the son of, of Judah. And then had to be the son of David. The son of David is a messianic title. In Jesus' day, the people, many of them, recognized that Jesus was the son of David. And you see that. You see that repeated over and over again throughout the Gospels. Uh, example, Matthew chapter 21, verse 9. The triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem. The crowds gathered ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is the highest. And that is, again, one of the key titles that was given to Jesus, that he is the son of David, that he is the Messiah, he is the anointed one, the promised one that the Jewish people, you know, were waiting for. Now, where does that go to? It brings us back, and I want to show you a couple of passages in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 16, put on your thinking caps here for a few minutes. It says, when your days are fulfilled, now this is essentially, this is the Lord making this promise to David. Okay, so... The Lord is saying in verse 12, when your days are fulfilled, again, when David's days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Now what, watch what it says here. So we, we say, well, that's, that's speaking of Jesus. Uh, he shall build a house for my name. Who built the house? Solomon. Right. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, sin, right? That's not talking about Jesus. That's, talk, that's talking about Solomon. If he commits inequity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. Obviously, that was not something that Jesus, right? Jesus didn't sin. Verse 15, but my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, who I removed from before you. Now watch down verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established Forever. That is speaking, again, of the Messiah King. That from David through Solomon, that the Messiah, again, the, the Messiah, you know, would come. Now, we go to Isaiah. And again, I'm going to show you a couple of these messianic passages. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Okay. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Who was Jesse? Jesse's the father of David. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, it goes in, it talks about verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by uh, the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Who is the branch? Yes, it's, a, it's again, pointing towards the anointed one. Obviously, in, in verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. It's talking about Jesus. Talking about It's a messianic passage talking about, about Messiah. I want you to notice something. The word, the word branch in the Hebrew is nazar. Some of you who are you know, deep into the study of the word, this passage in Matthew may have puzzled you because in Matthew chapter 2.23, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that he might uh, be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Which prophet said that he shall be called a Nazarene? Anyone? No prophet. Okay, no, 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 no prophet. I've seen this passage. Okay, he shall be called a Nazarene. There is, there is no prophecy that points to Jesus being called a Nazarene. Okay, it's interesting. Good. The word here, Nazarene, Nazareth. Again, I want you to, I want you to think back because I believe what Matthew. Now, again, if Matthew is mistaken here, then the Bible, right, our Bible has major problems. We start to bring into question the, um, what's called the inerrancy of Scripture, that there are errors, right, in Scripture. And um, if you look back at the branch, it's the word Nats, it's again, it's Natser. And I believe that's what the reference is here, and it occurs here in Isaiah, and then we see it again occurring in Jeremiah. He's referring that he shall be called the branch or a branch. And if you look at Jeremiah chapter 23, 5 through 6, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth, and his days, Judah, uh, will uh, be saved. And Israel will dwell safely. Now watch the title that's given here. And now 
Uh, this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. You know what that is? That's, that's, that's Yahweh to That's He's using here the Lord, he, that he is Yahweh. What is that a reference to? That's saying that Jesus, the Messiah, would be God. Not only is he the son of David, but he is the son of God. You know, just if, if, you, if you look at, um, today you talk with, with Jewish people, they believe Messiah will be the son of David. They do not believe that he will be the son of God. As it was, for the most part, in his day. Now, obviously, there are a lot of Jewish people, you know, Jewish believers today who do believe that Jesus is the son of God as well as the son of David. But the Jewish people, again, the majority are waiting for Messiah to come and that he will be a human, a great military leader. As, you know, as the scriptures, again, describe, you describe Jesus, he would come as a lion. But... Again, they leave out that part that he would be actually the son of God, that he would be God in the form of man. So let me, let me I'm going to show you a couple of, of things here. Again, Jesus has to be the son of David. If he is not the son of David, then he is not the Messiah. He's a false, he's a false Messiah. So there are a couple of problems that I want to give to you, two of them tonight. The first one is, is called the curse of Coniah. How many of you have ever heard of the curse of Coniah? So, if you go online, you will actually have rabbis, very educated and skilled rabbis in Hebrew, who will argue that Jesus could not possibly be the Messiah because his lineage goes back to King Coniah. King Coniah, uh, he's also called uh, Jedekiah. Actually, there's a, a, a few different uh, names. Uh, Jehoiachim are some of the names that you'll find he goes by. So let me show you this. This is the curse that comes upon Coniah in Jeremiah chapter 22, 24 through 30. Now, Coniah was an evil king. And he ended up really deserting Jerusalem uh, when the Babylonians were, were, were coming. Um, so it says here, As I live, says the Lord, that Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were uh, the signet, on my right hand, the signet ring is that ring of authority. It's the ring of kingship. I would pluck you off, right? I'm going to pluck you off. And I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those who face your fear, uh, face you fear. The hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the hand of the Chaldeans. So I will cast you out and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they desire to return, there they shall not return. Is this man, Coniah, a despised broken idol, a vessel in which is no pleasure? Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into the land which they do not know? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. So what you have there, that, that is a, a blood curse. You know what I'm saying? A blood curse passed on from generation to generation. It affects the DNA of his uh, children. Therefore, Messiah cannot have the DNA of Conaniah in him. And again, 
that is what rabbis will very, very, um, in a very educated manner, argue and confuse Christians okay, who are not grounded in the word. So I'm going to take you to the genealogy that, um, that we just started with Matthew. And again, you know, starting here with Abraham uh, coming uh, to Jesus, you go through here and notice, uh, again, David, Solomon, you come down, and uh, there is uh, Je uh, Jeconiah, uh, um, that's, that's Coniah, okay? You say, well, why does he have a different name? Well, my name is Frank, my middle name is Joseph, and my last name is Bolella. That's what you're, you're dealing with. It's likely, you know, a middle name. And, uh, but that, that is Coniah right there in the genealogy. His descendants, okay, then flow through there. So when you look at that, and I've had, I've had actually, I've had discussions with, again, educated Jewish people who will say, Jesus cannot be a son of David because the curse came upon Coniah. And then that would have, um, without question, would have affected. So, you know, how does God, again, how does God deal with this? You have a problem. God is a great problem solver. I hope as, you, you know, you, you grow closer to the Lord, you're going to see that God works to solve your problems. And another thing that will happen is he will give you wisdom to solve people's problems. But God is a, you know, God is the great, you know, problem solver. And you see that throughout, you know, all the way from Genesis right to the book of the Revelation. So, you know, how does God deal with that? So one, one thing to, to understand is here, Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. Joseph was the legal father of Jesus. And essentially what you have here, there, there is, this is a legal genealogy that comes right down to Jesus, but Joseph is Jesus' stepfather, and he is not his blood father. Joseph's DNA is not in Jesus. So if you, I, I, take you, I take you to the genealogy of Luke, and you look at the comparison of Matthew and Luke, it's interesting because Matthew's genealogy goes through Solomon. So in a sense here, you know, obviously David, Solomon, they are the legal, okay, great, 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 great grandparents of, um, of Jesus. But it is essentially through uh, the genealogy of Luke. Notice that the genealogy of Luke does not go through Solomon. It goes through Nathan. You ever notice that? It doesn't go through Solomon. It goes, it, it goes through Nathan. And as you, you look and you come down, right? So Conaniah, right? There's, again, Jehoiachem. Conaniah is not in the genealogy of Nathan, right? Jehoiachem was, a, again, descendant of Solomon. And when you come down to Heli, notice it, it goes from Heli to Mary, not to Joseph. Heli was Mary's father. And then notice what Luke writes in Luke chapter 3.23, and Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, and he puts this, these words, these three words, as was supposed, the son of Joseph which was the son of Heli. So, again, how does God, you know, solve the problem through the virgin birth? He's the only 
one who only had one human parent. His mother, right, was a, a descendant of David. Right? Not through Coniah, not through, Je you know, Jeconiah. Jesus, right, his legal father is Joseph. His true father is his father in heaven. And um, so Jesus, he had the royal bloodline through Mary and avoids the curse of Jeconiah that was never passed on to him. So that is, uh, that is I believe. Now, I'll say this to you. There are some, some of the rabbis actually argue that Coniah's sins were forgiven. So he repent, they say he repented. I find it really hard. I, I don't see it in Scripture. And that um, because of that, again, Messiah, and they're not arguing that Jesus is a Messiah, but they're saying that the Messiah then could come through the, uh, through the line of, uh, of, you know, going through uh, David through Solomon. So, now second problem. You have the problem of original sin. So, you know, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. That's just one of many verses that talk about, again, the concept of original sin. What is original sin? It is, I mean, it's been described as a bent towards selfishness, a bent towards pride. Uh, just stop, just kind of just, we, we look at evil in the world essentially all going back to original sin, and that the sin is passed on, okay, to us from generation to generation, from mother, father to, you know, to the child. People who don't believe in original sin, how do they explain the evil in the world? Now, you take a, a, a sociology class, you might even find it in a history class, psychology class. How, how do people in the world, I mean, there's, you know, I mean, it's, it's not hard to see that there is evil <laughs> There's, and then, you know, I was, sitting, I was sitting in a meeting of pastors many years ago, and they were talking about the major problems and evils that were facing America at that time, and how the church, like, how, how would we combat it? And um, so, you know, we were just talking about, you know, just so many different evils and sins that are happening. And, you know, they were saying, well, you know, you know, this is the problem, this is the problem, this is the problem. And I thought, um, in my uh, incredible self-righteous wisdom, I said, I'm the problem. Because we, right, we, we are the problem. And as much as I can look out and say, hey, look at all the evil in the world, look at all the sin in the world, I know <laughs> that I'm not right. And I have, again, still, I still have this sinful nature in me and, you know, and this, this bent towards sin. So um, how does it, you know, how does the world explain that? One of the ways that the world explains that is essentially it's because our educational systems are broken. And if we can fix our educational systems, and if you ever heard of John Dewey, who was the, you know, founding father of the public school system, the thought was if you can educate people, you can educate the evil out of them. So the higher the education, the less evil people will be. I, I think the, the problem, you know, the problem I have with that, you know, with that educational theory is that I think there are enough people with PhDs, right, that you could fill most of the uh, penitentiaries in New Jersey with. 
I mean, look, you know, Bern, you know, look at Bernie Madoff, right? He made off with, what, how many? $5 billion worth of people's money. You, um, I mean, Sam Bankman-Fried, if you know about Sam Bankman-Fried with FTX, he ripped people off for $32 billion. He wanted to, you know, great. He was, people were looking at him saying, he should be one of our future presidents. He is so brilliant. He is so bright. I mean, he was, you know, looked upon as, you know, he was, the, you know, the next Elon Musk. He was going to be the next Bill Gates, right? Steve Jobs. And he ends up ripping off people for 30, you know, $32 billion. But so that I have a problem with the educational theory because it just, through history, it proves it, proves it doesn't work. The, uh, another theory, they call it, it's, it's the social theory, which essentially really Karl Marx, it gives birth to socialism and communism, is that if you create a very, like, healthy environment, right, where people are all equal, and um, everybody, right, everybody has this, this role to play, that eventually you will just simply root out evil. And all you have to do is look at, you know, look at communist countries and see the evil that was done. I mean, communism resulted in about 100 million deaths. When I say people, in, like, they're getting, you know, they're getting brainwashed into socialism in our, you know, in our you know, college institutions and communism. Uh, when I look at that, I, I'm like, you just, you, you don't have a, you know, you don't have an understanding of the history of the last 100 years and see what communism did uh, in Russia to the, you know, in the Soviet Union, uh, in Cuba, Venezuela, in um, China, you know, millions and millions of people were slaughtered. Christians. There's no place for Christianity in, in, in communism. So, you know, again, it's it just, they're, they're kind of ridiculous. So, again, coming back, coming back to original sin. And here's, here's I'm going to give you one theory of how is original sin passed on from generation to generation. Some people say it's material, some people say it's spiritual. The material view is basically says that just as the sex, right, of the child is passed on by who? Right, it's passed on by dad, right? Dad passes on, right, that chromosome, that Y chromosome that determines the sex of, you know, of the male, or he passes on, right, to, uh, to the daughter. Now, some people say that's how original sin is passed on. It's passed on actually to the father. And it's not that the mother doesn't have a sin, because all of the mothers have fathers. But it's passed on from generation to generation. You're laughing at that. <laughs> I guess you're, you're feeling men are, you know, better sinners than women. If you see when someone say, um, you know, uh, I'm a worse sinner, if you're a worse sinner, you wouldn't be a bad sinner, but actually you're a better sinner, right? So that is, you know, that is one. You know, needless to say, um, whether it's spiritual or whether it's material, we know that it is passed on from generation to generation, and it doesn't take long to see in a little child, right? We see it in, we see it in our, our grandson right now. He don't get his way. Man, his way, it's like his way of the highway, and... You, you don't give him what he wants? You tell him no? I was doing it with me tonight. I have this little draw next to my uh, desk, and he comes over and he opens it. I say no. I, he closes it. He looks at me, and he opens it. I say no. He closes it, right? And he looks at me again, and, he op and he'll just keep doing that. He goes up the stairs. We don't let him go up the stairs. We're afraid he's going to fall down. As many times as we pull him down, he has a tantrum, and he goes back up the stairs. We've got to grab him, let's put him down. But it's a, a, a sinful nature. I'll tell you, this is a funny one. John Carlo. When John Carlo was little, he's sitting on my lap one day, 
And um, I think it was SpongeBob, SpongeBob SquarePants comes on the TV and his parents didn't want him looking at, at SpongeBob SquarePants. So um, I looked at him and I, I, I said to him, I don't, think, I don't think mommy wants you to watch SpongeBob you know, uh, SquarePants. And he looks at me and he goes, mommy's not here. little deviant, right? This little deviant mind. So here's again, original sin creates the problem because if, if Jesus is born, okay, in the normal way, he's got original sin. And he had to be the perfect sacrifice without sin, the sinless Savior, right? The perfect spotless Lamb of God. The Bible makes a very good point of that, right? In the Passover, the Lamb had to be spotless. And the Messiah had to be spotless. The lamb of the Passover is a foreshadow, a typology of Jesus. So what is God's, again, solution is the miracle of the virgin birth. So Isaiah, I'll go back and just share a couple of passages with you. Isaiah chapter 7, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall uh, call his name Emmanuel, which is a really incredible passage that... All right, it's speaking of the virgin birth and that Emmanuel, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. That God would again, would enter this world and you have uh, the incarnation. You go to Luke, again, the fulfillment of the virgin birth. I'm going to read to you from Luke and I'll read to you from Matthew here. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph and the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at the saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord uh, God will give him uh, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, You know, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. You look at verse 34, and... Um, Verse 35, it's interesting. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and you look at the first few verses of Genesis 1, chapter, uh, verses one, uh, 1 and 2, God creates the heavens and the earth, but the earth is formless and, and void. Mary's womb is formless right here and, and void. Right, the, word, the word for the formlessness and void of the earth, bohu tohu, it's, it's got no form. Mary's womb is formless and, and void. What is the Holy Spirit doing? He's hovering. He's hovering over the earth. And then what, what happens, then you have the creation process. God says, right, let there be light. God says, you know, let there be earth. And what you have here, the picture here of Mary, Mary, the Holy Spirit is hovering over Mary. Her womb, right, is barren. And then the Holy Spirit works this wonderful work of creation in the incarnation of the Son of God. Mary's DNA is used. 
It has to be used for him to be, again, the son of David. But this, again, it, it's this, this miraculous work that God does. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ is as follows. After his mother Mary betrothed uh, to Joseph, uh, before they came together, she was found with a child uh, of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her uh, till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Again, that is a, the picture of the virgin birth. God, right, being incarnate, right, and becoming, right, man through the virgin birth. So it, just a couple of other, just a couple of other insights that I want to I wanna share with you. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, to me it's one of the most wonderful prophecies in all of Scripture. And you get, again, you get a picture here that essentially Messiah, son of David, again, fully human, but he had to be God. So, for unto us a child is born, right? Messiah would be born. Unto us a son is given, that he would be a male child. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called now Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, that this child who would be born as a male child would be God. When I show this, I show this to, you know, to, to Jewish people. I mean, who is he talking about? If this is, if, if you recognize this as Messiah, if this is the Meshach, the Meshach has to be God. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. He will be the son of David. To order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward forever, the zero of the Lord of hosts will, will perform this. But again, born, right, as a, a human child, born a male, God, no sin, and a descendant of David. You come to the Gospel of, of John, again, what, what, is, you know, what does the Holy Spirit affirm to us here? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Jesus is God. And the word became flesh in verse 14 and dwelt amongst us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The incarnation happened through the virgin birth. That Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. Had a, had a physical human body that came through the DNA, okay, of Mary and her descendants, you know, to David all the way to Abraham. And, um, and yet, right, fully God. He has the eternal nurture of God. I want to share, share something. There's, a, there's a, a letter that was written in the first century, probably written, I'd say, around 70 AD. It's called the Letter of Clement. And the early church, again, this is not, we're not taking the Letter of Clement, though the early letters, I think, really give um, tremendous evidence to our theology. You 
read, uh, if you go to my library, you see all the, the early letters that were written in the first, second, and third century of the church. So Tertullian and Ignatius and Irenaeus. Well, there's this letter of Clement, probably one of the earliest letters dating back, okay, to the first century. And um, it was believed that when Jesus took the little child and put him on his knee and said, for such is the kingdom of heaven, that that was Clement. So Clement would have been a couple of years old, maybe, and now he's writing in 70, 72. It's probably right after the destruction of the temple, so he would have been 42, 43 years old. And Clement says, you know, he's involved in the church. So he sees and he's, he's, he's met Mary, and he's met Jesus' brothers, his stepbrothers. And he says that they all looked so much like Jesus. Now think of this. If Mary, right, she conceived Jesus, Jesus would have looked so much like Mary. Right? Think about it. Because there was no male DNA. So there had to be this, I mean, a, a, a resemblance that was beyond any resemblance of any human being to their mother right, ever before. Through the virgin birth. And they said when they, when they saw, you know, James and Jude, uh, you know, they, they said, well, yeah, you know, there was a resemblance there, but it was not. It was not as it was with Mary and Jesus. But we look, you know, we look, and have you ever looked in the mirror and sometimes look and see your mother or your father? <laughs> I look in the mirror sometimes, you know, I'm shaving, and I said, I look like my father. And uh, so there was, again, that resemblance. But the, again, the, there had to be a, an, a tremendous resemblance between Mary and, uh, and Jesus. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7, 26, for such a high priest uh, became um, us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, right? He is our high priest who is human form, but no sin. Undefiled, right? There's no sin in, in Jesus. Separated from sinners, right? He was separated from original sin. And he had to be again by going to the cross. Isn't that cool? By going to the cross and uh, essentially dying for us. If there's not a virgin birth, he has original sin, and he's not the sinless Savior, and he cannot save. So just, again, the, the, the curse of Coniah, and again, the curse of original sin is totally overcome and solved in the virgin birth. And what did, what did the Lord say to Mary? Right? For with God nothing will be impossible. So I just say this for this, you know, we enter into, you know, Christmas and the Christmas season. Some of you, you need that miracle. We have a lot of people in the congregation. They need that, you know, that, that thing of the impossible to be done for them through the God, right? Nothing is impossible for him. So I pray, you know, as you meditate, as you think, about, again, the miracle of the virgin birth, just know that God is the same. And he could work 
that miracle in your life for what you need. Amen? Take comfort in those, uh, in those words.